0: This morning we uh, are going to begin our five-week series in 1 John. And so, if you need a Bible, we've got a couple extra ones. If you brought your own, then go ahead and find 1 John. It should be towards the back. Um, And what we have in 1 John is we have a letter. We have a letter that's written by a witness to Jesus I think sometimes we we forget that as we're reading through the Bible, we just it's a book, you know, it's kind of a boring book sometimes, or interspersed with some real excitement. If you go back to the Old Testament, that's pretty fun. But we have this book, right? And we think it's just a book. But the reality is that we are given Jesus in this book. We're given the the sight of who God is the one that we desperately need and long to know, he's given us himself in his incarnation, right, as we've celebrated over the last couple weeks of Advent, like God came to earth and lived amongst us. He became a man. That would have been enough, but he's given us more gifts. He's given us the gift of his word. Somebody wrote it down, and it's been preserved over 2,000 years that we would be able to read it and see who God is. And he's given us the gift of his spirit that's inside of each one of us as believers in Christ. That would say, man, remember who God is. Look at his word. Read it. Enjoy it. See him. And so this morning and for the next, this week and the next four weeks, all of January, we're going to be in the book of 1 John. I think sometimes we forget, um, because now we've done the Old Testament prophets, and then we did an Advent series, but before that, we were in Mark for a long time. We spent a long time looking at the life of Jesus, and we were looking at it from a perspective of one of the disciples, mainly, many people think that it's Peter's perspective. But John, this John that writes this letter, it's not to John, it's from John, it's to the church. John is writing this letter, and John was one of the disciples also. And so if you know um, some of the, the 12 disciples, you know that there were, there were 12 of them, and if you're really good, you could probably name eight of them, maybe nine. Um, but, but most of us know those, those three that were pretty intimate to Jesus, Peter, James, and John. So you have the 12 disciples. You have probably way more disciples that walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus and went with him. But then you have these 12 that are called out to be apostles. And then amongst that 12, you have three that were really intimate with Jesus. Three that went into the boat with him. And three that went up to the Mount of Transfiguration with him. And and three that were with him almost every minute of every day. Peter, James, and John. And what do we have today? We have the gift of John who knew and saw and touched and heard Jesus. And he writes to us and he tells us, hey, that Jesus, here's what he's done. Here's what he's welcomed us into. This this fellowship, this joyful fellowship that you and I have with God is because of the Son, Jesus, who has come and done this work. And John writes to remind the church of that. And so John writes this letter. And he writes two more afterwards. They're attributed also to John. Then he writes this this revelation that he's given about who Jesus is, like this awesome, powerful vision that he has. And that's the revelation of Jesus that we have at the end of the book. So we have a Gospel of John, we have three letters from John, and then we have the revelation. I would encourage you this month, as we're walking through this this letter to the church, to go back and read the Gospel of John. Grab somebody and say, hey, let's read this together because I want to bounce some things off of you and I want to I see it and I want to talk about it and I want to digest it and I want to see who Jesus is because John writes in a different way than Mark wrote. That's just beautiful. Like, for some of us, we have a hard time with that because we're like, ah, it doesn't seem too, too consistent. But, but if you grouped You know, four of us and we started talking about the life that we've lived together over the last couple of years, we'd all have a different perspective and different parts of the story that really jumped out at us, and others would be like, Oh yeah, I forgot about that. I'm glad you wrote that down. Because I forgot. So John writes it differently. John is very emotional. He's he's poetic and it's beautiful, and he remembers, and and what we're gonna find is that in his letter, he actually kind of talks in circles sometimes, and you're like, man, I'm having a hard time tracking with him. So if you're used to reading Paul's letters that are very methodical and go step by step, you might be a little confused in John's letter, just because he writes differently. But it's beautiful because he takes the themes of the Bible, themes of all of Scripture, and say, this is how Jesus fulfills that. This is how Jesus is grace. This is how Jesus is the light and the truth. And so we get to see that through John's eyes over these next five weeks together. As we look at this, I just want to start with a summary verse from this letter, 1 John. And it's taken from uh, chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. So he's summing up the letter, and we're going to begin there so that we kind of see where is John going with this whole thing. 1 John 5, 20 through 21 say this, And we know that the Son of God has come, And has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ. He's the true God in eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. John's saying, listen, this Jesus that I knew. This Jesus that I spent time with. This Jesus that I saw his compassion. I saw this beautiful human was also the Son of God. And now, if we, the church, because that's who he's writing to, is the church, and he's reminding them of who they are in Christ Jesus. He's the true God in eternal life. And then, in that understanding of who Jesus is, he calls them to do something. To put down their idols, to, to keep themselves from idols, to not chase other things, but to chase Jesus. Jesus. And so this morning, we're going to see how he begins this letter. Every morning that we would gather and we would look at Scripture, it can just be a book unless the Holy Spirit does something and breathes life into it. And so we ask him every time we would read, God, would you do this miracle today? Will you speak to me? through the power of your word and the working of your spirit so that I would know you and I would be changed. So let's ask him. God, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of friendship, God, that we see in this book of 1 John, the, the friendship that John had with Jesus and that he would, he would both recognize him as the best friend And also as Lord and as Son of God. So Lord, we pray that today you would open our eyes. That you would give us eyes to see your face. That even as John says, the one whom he saw and spoke of and heard and felt, Lord, that we would see you. Because that's what we need. We, We come with expectation that we would see and know you. You tell us to come so that we would see you. And so, Lord, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear today, Lord, not just in this place but throughout the world, Lord, as people would gather as the church of Christ to, to see you. Lord, would you reveal yourself. Lord, I pray that at Pineda today as Ryan fast is there and what a, what a gift that he would be preaching. Lord, I pray that he would preach Christ and people would see and know him. God, through with all of our other ministry partners, Lord, that there would be a proclamation of the good news of Jesus and people would see Jesus, Lord. God, would you save today? Will you save and will you remind those that are saved of the joy that they have in in your salvation? Lord, begin with me. God, remind me again of the joy of my salvation, Lord, that I would rejoice in the fellowship that I have with you because of what Christ has done. We ask all of this in your name, in Jesus' name, amen. 1 John chapter 1, we're just going to read the whole passage. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life John comes from kind of this different perspective in his letter. Most letters begin with some sort of greeting and an introduction of who he is, whoever it is that's writing, and who he's writing to. But John just jumps right in, and he he just comes with Jesus. Like I love it. It's powerful. He's like, if you only get one thing, and I know that the attention span of many people dies off really fast, but you need to hear Jesus. You need to see Jesus. I want you to have Jesus today. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. How many of us long to really see Jesus Like, to see him with our eyes. Like, that's the one thing we think, if we just saw Jesus, that would change everything. And it does. Like, when we see Jesus in his word, it changes everything. When we see him in his church, it changes everything. When the Spirit moves in us and reveals Jesus to us, it changes everything. But John actually saw Jesus with his eyes. Now, those eyes were eyes that had been opened by the Spirit, to see who Jesus was because a lot of people saw Jesus with their eyes John really saw because God had opened his eyes to see Jesus as both this particular human but also as the son of God and it changes everything for him I love how the the sensations that John talks about like I heard him I saw him I touched him if you read John, John refers to himself in the, in the Gospel of John as the beloved, the one that Jesus loved. Man, like that's amazing. Isn't that what we want? We want to be the one that Jesus loved. And John knows I'm that. I'm that guy. And I got to love him back. You guys know me, I like to hug. Can you imagine hugging and touching and being held in the embrace of Christ? John doesn't have to imagine it. He actually experienced it, and that's what he's coming to you with today. I saw him. I touched him. I leaned on his chest. I was there. I saw all the miracles that he did, but more than that, I heard the words that he said. And you and I have his words, but what we don't have is we don't have his body language, we don't have his inflections, we don't hear Jesus. And like, what did his voice sound like? Was it high and squeaky, or was it deep and melodic? I mean, we don't know. But John did. John heard Jesus. And so if anybody knows Jesus, it's John. And we're not talking about just because he spent time with him, which we, we think that it was probably three plus years in the ministry of Jesus, and then all the way to the cross, and then after the resurrection, John sees him, right? Because longevity doesn't necessarily mean that you get to know somebody and that you actually understand what they're saying. Anybody who's married, you know. like you, That doesn't mean that automatically you're starting to pick it up. You, you know what your wife is saying. Nope. Still bump into that wall all the time. You said one thing, but I don't think you meant that. But John gets to spend this time with Jesus, and by the miracle of the Holy Spirit, he begins to hear and see and take hold of what Jesus actually says and what he does. John knows Jesus intimately, and that's how he begins this letter to the church. And it's a church that's in the midst of of forgetting. They're in the midst of forgetting what Jesus is and what he's done and who he said he is. And so John writes this letter because he loves Jesus and because he loves the church. He writes this letter to the church to remind them. And what does he remind them? That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, something you could touch, something you could feel and see. It's not just this ethereal thing, but it was actually in the person of Jesus The life was made manifest, and we've seen it, testified to it, proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. He talks about who Jesus is, and then he immediately applies it and says, if that's who Jesus is, then you and I have fellowship with him. Just as John had actual fellowship with Jesus and spent time with him, he's saying, listen, if you are in Christ, you have that same fellowship. You have that same access to the one who loves you. So that you too may have fellowship with us and fellowship with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. If we know that we have fellowship with Christ, there should be joy. Like, you have access to Jesus, the Son of God, who loves you, knows everything about you. As we're going to see, His light shines and there's nothing that's hidden from Him. And He loves you and He's poured out His love upon you. And He said, come to me. Come. That's it. Just come. Come because I love you. And so we have this joyful fellowship that we get to come to the Father with His Son, Jesus Christ, that our joy may be complete. This joyful fellowship is something that John heard Jesus talk about. It's not something that he's coming up with himself. It's actually words that he's sharing with us that he heard from the Master's mouth. John 17, 21, this is Jesus talking to His disciples. He says that they may be one. He's praying to the Father, praying this over his disciples, that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. We're being invited into this fellowship not of our own merit, but because of the merit of Jesus and what he has done. And so today, if we are in Christ We have unity with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. We have access to a satisfaction that no one else has if they are not in Christ. And so that satisfaction, that access that we have should bring joy, unspeakable joy, to us. So why aren't we joyful? Because we forget. (laughs) We forget that God has done this thing through His Son. We need to be reminded. We need the Spirit to remind us. We need each other, the church, to speak this truth to us. And so today we get to hear that together and receive that. I pray that it brings us joy. So what does this fellowship look like? This fellowship that John says that we have access to, that we're actually brought into by the work of Jesus, what does it look like? Verse 5, this is a message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' son cleanses us from all sin. I, that seemed like really cool. We got really excited about it for a minute. Like we get to have this communion with Jesus And then all of a sudden, John says, and in that communion, there's nothing hidden. In that communion, there's no darkness because you can't hide. In that communion, when when you enter into that fellowship, you are completely exposed. Whoa. That doesn't sound joyful yet. I got some things I don't want exposed, I'm content with hiding. There's some shame for, for ways that I've behaved, for anger in my heart, for the ways that I've reacted. There's, there's shame for the choices that I've made. I don't, I don't think I want this light to shine into my life. And then you're saying there's other people going to be there and they're going to see. And that light is going to shine into all of us. It's going to be really messy. That could get crazy fast. But that's what John's saying, is that, listen, there's this message that we've heard from him, that that Jesus has come and that he's he's been the sacrifice that we need, the sacrifice that would allow us to no longer hide in shame, the promise, right, from the very beginning when we sinned and we hid in shame, Adam and Eve hid in shame, and God gave us, he sacrificed an animal and used that animal skin to cover their shame and their nakedness. That was just pointing to one that would come that would actually cover their nakedness. That would actually cover all shame. That would actually cover over all of the sin and all of the brokenness and all of the bad choices and all of the things that you and I do that we hide. Jesus has come to expose that, to shine His light, because this Jesus was God Himself. And in verse 5 it says that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. God doesn't have to hide. He's perfect. He's righteous. He's pure. He's holy. He's brilliant. He's glorious. And then when he comes into the situation, when he is in fellowship with us, he shines his brilliance, his light, his glory, his beauty into our lives. Yeah, it exposes darkness. It exposes sin. It exposes arrogance. It exposes all the things that you and I hate that we talked about that Chris was leading us in. Like there's this war going on inside. I don't like that war because I don't like the sin. I don't like the brokenness that I see. And so I hide. And yet, Christ has come To shine into that darkness. To expose those places where I hide. To expose the sin that I don't like to confess is there. Verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' his Son cleanses us from all sin. John's talking and he's saying, listen, there, I know the struggle. I know the war that's going on inside of you to both hide and to try to walk in the light. And he says very clearly, listen, we cannot say that we, we're walking in the light and then walk in darkness. We can't hide and, and allow the shame to keep us from entering in to the fellowship with God. He says, if we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So what does it mean to walk in the light as he is in the light? Because if this fellowship that we have with one another has been purchased by the blood of Jesus, then we have access to it today. You and I get to walk in the light. I think... Man, I just keep, for the last month I've been thinking about Matt's prayer of confession where he says, don't waste your sin. Like, like the opportunity we have that we get to confess our sin actually gives glory to God. But we have so much shame and brokenness that we hide those things and we, we end up not giving glory to God in opportunities that you and I have today to glorify Him. And so we rob God of His glory because we're afraid. Because we're ashamed. So walking in the light means actually, I know what truth is. I know that I'm broken. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that like this morning when I woke up there was anxiety in me and I, I, I wanted everyone's approval. I wanted their... I wanted comfort. I wanted all these things that God has not promised me because He has given me Himself and I've argued with Him and fought with Him for that glory. I've fought with Him for that supreme spot in my life. Instead of resting in Him being Lord, I've tried to be Lord. I've tried to say that on my own I can live. But Jesus is the light that would shine into this darkness. John's Gospel says it pretty clearly. John 1, 4, and 5, it says, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines into the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. Jesus came. He is light, and He shines into this darkness. And then He calls us as the people of God, as those in Christ, to then walk in the light and shine. But before we can shine into other people's lives with the light, we need to shine that light into our own lives. We're really good about saying, oh, actually I see in your life there's a little bit of darkness and I'm going I'm to do you a favor and I'm going to shine my light in there. Right? But that's not what John is saying. John is saying, listen, allow the light of Christ to shine into your life to expose your brokenness because you know what? That's not where it ends. It doesn't end with just an exposure. It ends with a covering. We see it in verse 7. What happens when that light exposes our darkness? But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. Your story and my story is not about our sin your story and my story is full of our sin, but it's not about our sin. Your story and my story is about the lamb who was slain, whose blood covers over our sin. It's a story that's, that's been from the very beginning, this, this washing of, of blood, this blood that would cover over sin is from the Old Testament. We see it. Washed in the blood, this cleansing blood, it's a theme that's carried throughout all of Scripture. Leviticus 17.11 says this, this is the law that's being given to Moses, and Moses is giving it to the people. He says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. It's picked up. In the New Testament, Hebrews writes about it, Hebrews 9 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And if you think that it ends here, you're wrong, because Revelation, also John wrote, gave it to us, is this foreshadowing, right? This this knowledge that we have of what is the end going to look like? The end's gonna look like worship. It's going to look like our stories contributing to the glory and honor of the one who has cleansed us by his blood. Revelation 5 9. And they sang a new song. These are all the elders gathered around the throne. They sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seal, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Listen. John's pointing to our sin, yeah. And he's saying, listen, if you're walking in the light, you're going to be exposed. Those things that are shameful will no longer be hidden, and they come into the light. But you know what? As soon as they're in the light, Jesus covers them with his sin. They're actually covered before they even come into the light. But, but bringing them to the light allows us to see that God's grace is sufficient for my brokenness. God's love is greater than my sin. It's greater than my shame. I don't have to hide because He loves me just the way that I am. He loved me when I was rebellious and I, when I was saying that I don't want Him, He pursued me and He grabbed my heart and He changed my heart by the working of His Spirit. Jesus has done this thing. He's cleansed us from all of our sin. But what we do As we do verses 8 and 10. I wrote, sin sandwich. I don't know if that's helpful, but it's a sin sandwich, okay? Verses 8, 9, and 10. Read it with me. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sin, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Listen, there's two strong calls in verses 8 and 10 that say we have to confess that we have sin. If we don't confess our sin, we're deceiving ourselves. That's what we want. Like we want we want to live in this world where we don't have sin, but the reality is that that's just deceit because as soon as we open our mouths, we realize, "Oh, I'm a sinner." Maybe we get really good at starting to control some of our behavior. We build some really good habits, and we don't look that bad. But Jesus sees beyond what you, the habits that you've built he sees beyond the words that you would say. He be, sees beyond your behavior into your heart. And when he looks into our heart, he sees the sin that's there. So the beauty is that when you're confessing, you're not disclosing anything new to a holy God. He already knows. But what he's inviting you to do is to confess. Because as soon as we confess our sin, we also get to confess that His grace is sufficient for me. Yeah, God, I sinned. I have sinned. I, I, I might even continue to sin. I pray that I won't, but, but if I do, your, your grace is sufficient. How do I know? Because You sent Your Son. You sent a sacrifice that, is, that has atoned for me. And then we get to look at our neighbor and be like, man, if that's true for me and I'm not nothing special, then that's true for them too. And now I get to see them in a different light. And I get to be patient and loving and all the fruit of the Spirit. Right, That's fruit that doesn't just get worked out by ourselves. That's fruit that gets worked out in community and in relationships with one another. Two sinners trying to live with each other. It's going to require patience and gentleness, and faithfulness, and self-control, all of that fruit that we need gets played out in our lives because of who God is and what He's done. His grace is sufficient for us. But we want to deceive ourselves and say that we don't have sin. And then verse 10, if we say we haven't sinned, not only are we deceiving ourselves, but we're calling God a liar. So if we Come with any sense of awe of who God is. The last thing you and I want to do is call him a liar. So when we hide, it's not, just a, it's not just a me thing. It's a big deal. It's a big deal when we don't confess our sin because it calls God a liar. It says, you didn't have to send your son because I can do it by myself. If the devil can do one thing, he's going to try to convince you that you're not a sinner. But if you live, you're probably going to realize you've got some sin. So the the second lie that he comes with is that, hey, you're a sinner, but really you just need a little bit of help. Like you just need to get better. And yeah, maybe Jesus can help you a little bit, but, but ultimately you need to fix you in whatever way that you can do that a there is a, there's a real problem in our culture, in our Christian culture, that would say you just need to fix you and, and use a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of Bible reading and a little bit of what have, fill in the blank. It's a Jesus and gospel. And there's, there's no gospel that is Jesus and. There's a gospel that is Jesus. There's a gospel that... You and I bring nothing to the table except our sin, and God has covered over it with His blood, the blood of His Son. And then you and I get to walk in the light, as He is in the light, because His grace is sufficient for you and me. You see, if we believe either of those lies, either that we are not a sinner, or that we could just do better, We're buying into the lie and we're deceiving ourselves and we're calling God a liar. Because if you and I could do better, He wouldn't have needed to send His Son. He would have just needed to give us the rules that would fix us. And that's not what He gave us. He gave us the rules to show us our need for a Savior. And when we look and our heart is exposed to that, and Jesus comes and He points to the law and He says, Listen, the law just talked about what you say and what you do, but I'm pointing to your heart. And this light is shining into the darkness of even your heart. And what we see there is our need for a Savior, a Savior who would come and would cleanse us. And this morning we come walking into the light of truth. Man, thank God that you and I don't have to hide in shame anymore because Jesus' blood has covered over our sins. Thank God that today you and I get to confess, man, I screwed up. I was angry towards you. You didn't even know it because I'm really good at covering my shame and my sinfulness with my words and with my actions. But man, I've harbored this against you and I've resented you and I've hated you in my own heart. And we get to say that and we get to see the balm of Jesus' blood cover over that and, and then someone else gets to sit and make the same thing, say the same thing. Yeah, I, actually I did kind of feel that. And then I kind of resented you because you were resenting me. But today we get to come and we get to confess that we are sinners together. Man, but we have this beautiful Savior, Jesus, who's doing work. One of the other things that we get with confession is we get to see, like, actually that person confessed a year ago that they were struggling with this. But, man, I've seen God do this work in their lives. And it's beautiful. And it's praiseworthy. And it's God-glorifying. And so as we confess, we get to watch the work of the Spirit in each other's lives and rejoice in that. Why can we do all of this? Why can we confess our sin? Because the one we're confessing to has done something about it. The faithful and just one has sent his Son. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can confess because Jesus has done the work of cleansing. What you and I deserved was death because of our sin. What Jesus has done is he has come and he walked a perfect life without any sin and so he could pay our debt for us. And on the cross, he pays that debt that you and I deserve. So now we don't have to hide. We don't have to pretend like we didn't need a Savior because the Savior has come and he's done everything needed for us. We've been made righteous through his blood. I love this passage from John's Gospel. Chapter 1, 17 and 18. This is John talking about who Jesus is. He says, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus. No one has ever seen God. But if you've seen Jesus, the only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. God came, entered into our world so that we could see Him and hear Him and touch Him. God came in the person of Jesus and in Jesus Christ we see grace and truth. Here's, Here's the beauty. The light that would shine into the darkness and it would expose your sin is powerful. There's no place that you and I can hide. But equally powerful is the grace that's right hand in hand with that truth that exposes us for who we are. The grace comes. And he says, but I've done something about it and I've I've cleansed you from all of that unrighteousness. One of my favorite bands The Citizens. I have a song, In the Light of Your Grace. I love the the words to it. It says, In the the light of your grace, you in my darkness In the light of your grace, my burdens lose their weight. In the light of your grace, you lift my head up. In the light of your grace, my sin is washed away. Today, you and I get to come as we are because grace has come. Forgiveness has come. Our sin has been washed away by the blood of Jesus. And so we get to rejoice. Like that's the fellowship and the community that you and I have. We get to be honest about who we are because it's been washed by the blood of Jesus I'm I'm closing here but I I just need to tell you this It's scary to confess our sin because we're confessing our sin to each other and we're sinners and I pray that if you've been hurt or burned by people that would profess Christ, that, you, that they've hurt you because you confess your sin and, and they've said something that would make you think that His grace is not sufficient for that sin. I'm, I'm sorry. Like that That happens because we're sinners and we... We are not God. Jesus has come and and His grace is sufficient, but unfortunately, Joel's grace is insufficient, right? Our grace is insufficient, and we, we hurt people and we sin against others even in the midst of trying to do this beautiful thing. But do not let someone, a sinner's actions, describe or embody who Jesus is because Jesus did not sin. And so when he says, my grace is sufficient for you, he meant it. When he says, I've covered over that with my blood, he meant it. And I do pray that God would make us a people that, there's, there's nothing that we can confess that is beyond God's redemptive power. And maybe you're thinking like, yeah, but there's some really bad things I've done. I promise you that it is not, beyond God's redemptive power. Maybe you said, but I've done this one thing so many times, like I keep trying not to do it, but I just do it. And I don't think that God's grace is sufficient for how many times I've done it. No, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. There's nothing so great that God's love and His grace cannot and has not cleansed it. It is sufficient. Do not let sinful people, including us, Taint your view of who God is and that His grace is sufficient. And then if we confess and we're jerks to each other, let's just try to continue to be patient and beg God to do what only God can do to change us and transform us into His image so that we become that people, that people can come and confess to. And like, man, that's going to have some ramifications, but you know what? It, what? what ramification it doesn't have? It doesn't change the way that God sees you. You are loved. You have been bought with a price. His blood is sufficient and it covers over your sin. And then we get to joyfully have fellowship with one another. This is what John's writing. He's saying, listen, you've forgotten who God is, so you don't have this joyful fellowship. And I pray that you would remember who Jesus is so that you have this fellowship. I'm thankful for what God's doing in It's beautiful. It's powerful. He's done some crazy works in our lives. But I believe that He has even more to do. And I'm excited to do that with you. That God would give us this joyful fellowship, united as sinners around the One who has come and saved us. Amen? We get to do this together. I pray that we would walk in the light as He is in the light today. Not for our glory, it would be like, hey, we're people of the light. But we would point to the One who has shined into the darkness and rescued us. God, we thank You, Lord, that You are faithful and good and true. God, we thank You that You shine brightly. We thank You that You have met us in our brokenness and said, My grace is sufficient for You. My love is sufficient for You. My love is so sufficient that I sent my Son, the one whom I cherish, to die on the cross for Your sins. God, help us to believe that today, Lord, and then that that we would believe that not only has he died, but he rose again, defeating sin and death, so that we too today can walk in the light, walk in his righteousness, even as we confess our sin. God, that all of this would point to you and your goodness, your glory, so that you would be made much of. We ask this in your name. Amen.